We are encountering silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com forward slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. Maisie Sparks is an author, speaker, spiritual director, and retreat facilitator. Her books include Christmas Quiet, 151 Things God Can't Do, 101 Things the Devil Can't Do, and Holy Shakespeare, 101 Scriptures that Appear in Shakespeare's Plays, Poems, and Sonnets. She has also contributed essays to three different anthologies uh, put together by the Spiritual Directors of Color Network. She makes her home in Champaign, Illinois. Maisie Sparks, welcome to Encountering Silence. Thank you. It's very good to be here with you today. We'd like to begin our conversations by asking our guests to tell us just a little bit about your relationship with silence. How has silence been a part of your life? I think my most meaningful encounter with silence to date um, happened about um, maybe 15 to 20 years ago. One thing I do know about that date is it was Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the Jewish New Year. But it was also the beginning and, and an opening into a new way of experiencing God for me. For many years, I had gone on retreats with bus loads of people. We'd go to a campsite. There would be a lot of preaching and teaching and time for gathering. But on this day, I went to a retreat by myself. It really wasn't a decision as much as an invitation to something different and something special. I remember crossing a little bridge to the retreat house and I started to cry. It took some years of reflection to realize that on that day, I was grieving the loss of my past and I was on a spiritual threshold. That Saturday morning, I arrived at the Cynical. A receptionist called for Sister Mary and she was gonna be my host for the next 24 hours. They called me a silent retreatant. I had come alone and they were going to respect my desire for solitude. The funny thing was, I didn't know I had a desire for solitude. I only knew that my uh, suitcase was making a lot of noise as it rolled along the, um, the hallways. We got to my room and I looked around and there was just this little bed, a chair, a desk and a lamp, no TV, no radio, no clock. And I started to second guess my decision in coming here. Like, what am I gonna do for the next 24 hours? And just at that moment, truly, um, my heart was about to be gripped with disappointment. And Sister Mary turned to me, she put the key in my hand and she said, enjoy God. And I was like, enjoy God? 
To my recollection, I had never heard those two words in combination before. All my Christian life, I had been told I was supposed to be working for God and serving God and trying to please or appease God. And it had never occurred to me that I was supposed to be enjoying him. But it was in the solitude and silence of those 24 hours that I started to realize that time with God was just as important, if not more so, than working with him. So that was the encounter that started this whole ball rolling and um, changed the course of my spiritual life. Maisie, I, I love that story. And I love very specifically what you said when you said it wasn't a decision as much as it was an invitation. And, you know, that, that key being dropped in your hand strikes me too as like a physical invitation, not just kind of a spiritual one. And I wonder, you know, sometimes we get those invitations in our daily life. And I wonder if silence plays a role in your daily or regular spiritual practice. Um, yes, it does. Um, I, I guess I start my day with what I call devotions, uh, Bible reading, prayer, writing in my journal. Um, now that I've gone through spiritual direction programs, I have seasons where I will write out the prayer of examen, or I have seasons where I will practice centering prayer. These weren't things that I grew up doing. These are things I've learned in the last 15 to 20 years. But I also have seasons when I feel like I don't have to do anything structured. I just allow myself time to just be. That uh, it, It's very easy to, even with spiritual disciplines, to start checking the box that I've, I, I did this prayer and I did this, but that's not really the purpose of practicing spiritual disciplines. Uh, for me, it's more about having a rhythm of life of being with God and then being in the world. Uh, that's kind of how I saw Jesus's life. He had this rhythm of retreat and return. He would go and spend time with his father and then he returned to the responsibilities of life. So what I see and what I try to understand about practicing, whether it's silence or any other spiritual discipline is that's not the end of it. That's not the end game to just practice. It's really about a deeper relationship with God that in turn makes me have better relationships with the people who have to interact with me. Yes. Wow. Yes. I, I'm still sitting here spinning. That first story you told is so powerful. It's like, it's like hearing a parable or a mythology. I, I can see the person putting the key in your hand and saying, enjoy God. And I just, my mind kind of stops and I go, she's giving the key is literally in your hand. You can unlock the door. You have the app. It's not, I don't need to do anything. No one else is doing this for you. You're doing this work. And then you then just told this great answer to Cassidy where it wasn't, I'm not doing anything, actually. I'm inviting and I'm doing a discipline. I'm, and I don't even like the language, doing. I'm involved in a discipline that's allowing me to become more me, 
not to sit by myself all quiet, but to have better relationships in the world with that rhythm that you're talking about. So, so here's my question. I, you said before 15, this was 15 years ago, this story, what? right? So I'm kind of curious, do you know, it's kind of the question I think about uh, your, uh, I, I want to ask about the centering prayer and these practices that you're talking about. I guess I want to follow up on the question, what your answer is the rhythm of life, this moment of what were you doing before those 15 years? And then what were you doing after? And is it, is this basically like a balance of silence and no silence or is there, is it a different balance? Like what is this rhythm? What does it look like for you? Let me start out by saying that I grew up in the Pentecostal faith tradition. And we're not known particularly for silence and solitude. I didn't grow up with those kinds of understandings about God. Uh, I didn't grow up with the word contemplation. For me, contemplation was more something about peace. It was more like the understanding of shalom, of tranquility, of wholeness, of well-being. And so in, in my tradition, when we had those kind of graces in our life of oneness and wholeness, it wasn't about being quiet about them. It was about shouting the good news of God's goodness. But I can say that after the shout, there was a stillness there was a pause. There was a change in the tempo of the music that let us know that God had been there, God is here, and that God would be present with us as we walked into the coming week with all of its unknowns. I would say that quietness was more of a quiet hope and a resolute conviction that life was going to get better. You know, I grew up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, in my home, I really don't even remember us talking much about how life was for African-Americans in America. We had this unspoken understanding that with God's help and our perseverance, things would get better. So on my spiritual journey, Earlier on, I don't think I would have embraced practices of solitude and silence. It just wasn't a concept for me. And I was on a mission. I had things to accomplish. I had goals I wanted to achieve. And I couldn't do them with that kind of understanding of life. I don't think that I had the luxury of understanding life in that way. It's only been in recent years that I haven't given up that part of my life, but I have added to my experience ways to um, get to know God better. Uh, now I love quotes like this from A.W. Tozer. God is so vastly wonderful, so utterly and completely delightful that he can, without anything other than himself, meet and overflow the deepest demands of our total nature. If you would have told me that 20 years ago, I would have looked at 
like you, like, are you on drugs? What are you talking about? God is supposed to be doing something for me, you know? And so, yeah, things have really changed. I now find God delightful and as a person to be enjoyed. Maisie, I, I want to circle back to that word luxury. I think that that's a really interesting word. And I think that this may be something that I have run into, and I, I would imagine you have run into it as well, that there may be a certain segment of people in the church and maybe in society at large that might see you know, contemplation or going on retreat or centering prayer as some sort of a luxury, you know, and it's something that, you know, it's navel gazing. It, it, it represents a retreat from the good and important work that needs to be done. So I'm curious if you could have a conversation with younger Maisie, what would you say to her or to anyone else who might have that idea? Oh, that's just a luxury. Yeah, I have gotten that question and I have had that question that um, there's, there's not time for this. There's too much to be done. But I had a experience one day, I saw something that changed my mind about not having time to, to be with God. I think I was in a, a mall or somewhere and I saw a little girl jump on her father's lap and just sit there. She didn't want anything. She just wanted to sit on his lap. And I don't know why I just got kind of spellbound watching this because depending on how you look at it, you might say nothing's happening. But one thing I've come to know is that being still is not the same as doing nothing. And I like to think that bonds of love and trust and relationship are built just by sitting on the father's lap. And that's an image I use when I'm talking to people who are, are new to this whole idea of solitude and silence and stillness. We're just sitting on God's lap. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to ask for anything. But I can almost guarantee you that love and trust are being developed just by being, just by sitting on God's lap. Being still is not the same as doing nothing. That is very profound. And you've also mentioned rhythm and you mentioned tempo when you were talking about your church background, this, these notions of um, rhythm and tempo changing and things like that. And as this shift in tempo occurs, I also see the ways it can maybe ready us for output in God's work. And so my question is, how do you see silence and contemplation related to social justice and or activism um, you wrote an essay called Spend Time with Others, Prepare Your Heart for Social Justice. And how do we prepare our hearts to meet the challenges of our time? How do we kind of go to that natural rhythm in order to be fed for the, that shift of tempo, for our output, for our participation in God's work? 
some words that inspire me to do what little work I'm doing in the world is the words of Mother Teresa. She was a Catholic sister who served the people of India. And she said, the more we receive in silent prayer, the more we can give in active life. I believe what Mother Teresa heard in her silent prayer was that she was to give dignity to the poor and the dying in her city. And that silent prayer has turned into an order that serves poor and dying people in 100 countries around the world today. So I think we need more silent prayers that inspire us to act on the behalf of others. Our time with God is to inform the actions we take. One of the challenges of the time that we live in is I don't see people of faith putting a lot of emphasis. Well, we put a lot of emphasis on right beliefs, but we don't necessarily embody those beliefs. Our beliefs aren't being turned into the right behaviors. And I don't want you to hear that as a judgment because I see the disconnect in my own life as well. The hypocrisies of our inconsistency has reached a tipping point and it makes it hard for people to believe in faith because of what they see people of faith doing. So I think we need more prayers that help us to be helpful to other people. And it's often in the silence and in the stillness that God really works on our hearts where we can really hear something deeper, something beyond what we're hearing on the news, something beyond what's coming up on the news feeds, something beyond um, the signposts in our neighbor's yard. We really have to set, spend some time with God to get a whole kind of new picture of what's going on in his world that he wants to bring into our world. You know, we pray about God's kingdom coming, but do we work with God to help that come about? That answer there makes me think of the article that you published in the Christian Science Monitor, uh, The Silent Mode. I guess that the name of the title of the uh, article is Silent Mode, What I Learned from Taking a Break from Breaking News. So what did you learn from that break? Could you, I mean, because it feels like that your answer you just gave kind of leads right into that question. Yes. After the inauguration this year, I took a two-week hiatus from watching the news. I was at a breaking point, quite frankly, between the COVID virus that we've been living under for a year, the elections, the continuing um, debate and legal ramifications of the election, the racial unrest, the insurrection. So I needed a break from breaking news. And during that time, an idea emerged in my heart. It started in my journal and I fleshed it out on my laptop and then I sent it to the monitor because I'd previously written for them and they decided to publish it. And my thought was this, America is not divided we've been broken open. We have been forced to see the vices that have always lived among our virtues. 
And we've been given this gift time and time again, but we've kind of left it languishing on a bottom shelf, only partially open. So in the article, I went on to describe some things that might be beneficial to us personally and as a nation in these uncertain times that we live in. As a nation, we need to take some long, slow breaths. We just need to expand the inside of us. And we need to sit in a comfortable chair and just rest and let just calm and peace and goodness just kind of wash over us. And we need to ask ourselves, where can we be instruments of peace? Now, a lot of this might sound naive to some people, but the truth is all of the bickering and fighting isn't gonna get us to where we wanna go. And so as a nation, we need to take a time out and think about the consequences of our inability to work together, to love each other, and to find ways that are healing and not divisive. Yeah, we have to sit in God's lap in our comfortable chair. Absolutely, absolutely. That's exactly what we need. We need to hear something very different. No matter what side of the argument you are on, I think there are things that we need to hear from a totally different perspective. That's not about politics or race, but about love and how all of us fit under that umbrella. I may not agree with you on your politics, but I can agree that I need to love you as God has loved me and I need to treat you as I wanna be treated. I think we all fit under there. Sounds like uh, a sermon that was preached about 2000 years ago on a mountain in, um, in Palestine. Uh, Maisie, I'm, I, I love this and, and I'm so with you. Thank you for, for giving voice to this. And my thought is I think about many people who I know and love who are so, you know, you talked about the broken open so broken open, broken open by the racism, by the violence, you know, against people like George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, and, you know, just the persistence of systemic racism, systemic white supremacy in our culture. And as a white man, I understand that anger. I, I can't truly inhabit it because I'm the beneficiary of privilege. But, but I, I think I have enough of a sense of justice that I see, I see the legitimacy of the outrage and the, and, and the angst and the lament and, the, and even to the point of feeling despair. And so how do we bring this voice of love into the situation and and you know and i'm also a child of the 60s and 70s and so i think you know much of that anger may be embodied by people who are younger than you and me so you know how do we help those maybe who are a little bit younger and and who are in that place of incredible righteous anger to see that that 
this truly can be a path forward for us all. Yeah, I think that what has happened to us in America, Black, white, Asian, or whatever, we were all uh, shaped by a particular system. So I don't want to necessarily fault any side. It's just the way it has been. And yet, what I have loved about America is its ability to grow and change. And I think that what is being asked of us in this moment is to make a big change. And the power for that, quite frankly, has to come from within. Uh, I think it starts with each one of us realizing the generosity of God to each of us. My mother used to say something. She used to say, God never made a bird without making a berry. In other words, there is enough here for all of us. And so we do not have to be selfish. We do not have to grab everything for ourselves. If we are people of faith, if we believe in the generosity of God, and if we are trying to live in his image, then this change starts in us. And then we take it out into the world in ways of peace. We don't have to start a fight to get our way, but we can bring a different way of being to our world. And I think that's what um, times of contemplation allows us to do. It allows us to move out of this very binary way of looking at things and asking God for a third way. Lord, what is another way for me to see what is going on and bring healing and hope rather than bringing more despair to an already despicable situation. So this work that we're doing on ourselves is not just for ourselves. We now have to bring this to the world. You know, as I talked about Mother Teresa, it wasn't enough for her to have that prayer. That prayer then ignited action. She wasn't even a nurse when she started to take care of people. She just started to take care of people. And I believe that's what each of us has the opportunity to do now, to stand up and say, I am willing to make the change that's going to bring peace and wholeness to more people other than just myself. Our conversation will continue after this brief moment of silence. Please take a break with us and be present in this short period of silence.
reminds me of the, yeah, just the necessity to end the war within and that whole concept. And, and you said this work we're doing for ourselves is not just for ourselves, which I, I love that phrase. And I wonder, I know in your ministry as a retreat facilitator, um, you may be in the position of introducing people to that spirituality of silence and people that are seeing it for the first time, experiencing it for the first time. You are the person dropping the key in the hands of people, so to speak, right? You're the one that is giving them the invitation. So I wonder what kind of objections you might run into for someone who might be new to intentional silence. And I wonder how you respond to those. Yes, uh, as I've noted, I come from a hand clapping, foot stomping, tongue talking faith tradition. But I love, really, I love talking to uh, people from my background about contemplative dis disciplines. I mean, that's pretty much who I talk to. And I understand their apprehensions. I understand their concerns. And it's never easy to move out of your spiritual comfort zone. It, it's scary. I, I remember when I wanted to walk a labyrinth, but I thought lightning was going to come out of the sky if I were to do something like this. And I read about three or four different books on walking a labyrinth before I would take one tiny step on the path. And now it's one of the... Um, practices that I do a lot in, in the summertime. What I've learned as I talk to people like me is that I have to accept where they are on the journey because they are not journeying with me. They are journeying with God. And God has been extremely patient with me. So I am extremely patient with others. I give people choices. I say, take it at your own pace. Um, there's no right or wrong with this. Modify this so it works for you. Yeah, I think for people from my background, this prolonged times in silence is probably one of the most difficult disciplines for us to practice because whether it's secular or religions, religious, we pride ourselves in America on busyness. I mean, I, I remember growing up in the church hearing things like two thirds of God is go, or you're not supposed to rust out, you're supposed to wear out. That was something my father said all the time. But my favorite guilt inducing adage was this one, You've got to press your way. And it, all, it always made me feel like I haven't done enough. I haven't given enough. I haven't prayed enough. But worst of all, I wasn't enough. And I needed to hear God's voice through words like the, the message paraphrase that said, come to me get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. And when I share those kinds of words with other people, it gives them a language and it gives them a concept now of some of the things they've been feeling in their heart, but they didn't know what to do with. I will never forget the first time I was told that there is no right or wrong way to walk the labyrinth. And that just blew my mind. And with Christianity being in American culture, such a, such a culture itself of, of assuming certitude and the sense of knowing, you know, that freedom that you're giving people by saying, it's okay. You can go to the silence and whatever happens happens is such a gift. So all this to say, just thank you for offering such beautiful spaciousness to people as they, as we all find our way. Yeah, I I 100% have to say, on behalf of those who've come to you and those who will come, thank you so much for your work and for your space, um, for being the comfy chair so that people can sit with you and God together. Uh, I, I'm inspired. I just want to say thank you. I don't really have a question. I just want to say thank you before the next question because— I'm teaching a class right now, and I what you've just said, I'm reminded all the time to myself as a teacher. I I, I want to teach them, but I want to have an open space of like telling the students it's okay. There's no one way here. We're exploring. We're looking at different answers. We're I need your perspective. There, I I'm not trying to put you in a box. I want you to break a box. I want you to look. And uh, it's been a interesting week for me. Very busy and grading. And you reminded me to be good to my students. <laughs> so thank you for that. Good, good. You know, another piece of this whole contemplation story for me that goes back a little bit before the retreat that I went on was I had a thought rolling around in my mind and uh, it wouldn't let me go. And it was as if I was hearing God say, if you slow down, you'll catch up with me. If you slow down, you'll catch up with me. And I didn't know what to do with that. Yes. Uh, actually, to be honest, I thought it was heresy. I mean, aren't we supposed to be taking care of our father's business? And isn't the Christian life about serving others? And didn't Jesus tell his disciples to go into the entire world to reach and preach and teach folks. And I felt that if I slowed down, Jesus's work would go undone. And so I really plowed more into busyness, not knowing that what I really needed was this inner peace. Again, I was calling it peace, not con contemplation. I really needed that. I was active and I was prominent in my church and I equated activity with spirituality. And I just initially could not wrap my brain around not working hard and service. And I'm not uh, down on service. I believe that as just human beings, we think about and we care about and we do things for others but I didn't know that I needed to refuel my soul. And that was the thing that was really keeping me from working in a way 
not out of bitterness, resentment, and the other kinds of things that can build up inside of you when you don't go back to God for refueling and you just burn yourself out doing things that are good, but you're not getting the rest you need to come at them from a place of rest, gratitude, thankfulness, joy, and peace that God wants us to share in the doing. So Maisie, I'm curious, how did you discover the ministry of spiritual direction? How did that come into your life? <laughs> so uh, after I went on that first retreat, I came back home and I was sharing as best I could with my niece what had happened to me because I really didn't have words for it. And I said without thinking, I'm going to offer this to other women. Now, at that point, I didn't even know what I had experienced, but I knew something had happened to me in the silence. So I sent a letter out to a hundred of my closest friends and 16 of them took the risk to come and spend an overnight with me at another retreat house called the Cynical, also called the Cynical, but it was in downtown Chicago. And I felt they would feel more comfortable there than I had gone out in a, a rural area. And after I, I gave a, a couple of workshops, one I remember being on journal writing and I told the ladies, we're gonna be quiet for the rest of the day. I said, we're not gonna talk to each other. And they looked at me like I had lost my mind because I really didn't know what I was talking about. Honestly, I didn't. And so that evening, one of the women came over to me and she said, have you ever thought about being a spiritual director? And I said, what's a spiritual director? She said, what you're doing. <laughs> and so I went back home and I Googled spiritual director <laughs> and lo and behold, the first retreat center that I had gone to had a program there. And so I ended up back at the very first retreat center for two years, uh, every other week, uh, taking a spiritual direction program. And when I finished that, I ended up going to a university for three years in a spiritual formation program. And I had no idea, this, this was, none of this was on my bucket list of life. Actually, when I had graduated from college, I told my mother, I'm not going back to school for another 20 minutes in my life ever. And then I went through five years of school, making the best grades I'd ever made, meeting people from backgrounds. I didn't even know what people's denominational backgrounds were, and I didn't care. I just knew that we were all on this journey trying to learn more about God, ourselves, and loving each other. And I walked away from both of those experiences with friends that I still have today 
as well as this understanding of life that I don't care what's over someone's church door. What I want to know is how is this person engaging with life and how can how can we help each other engage in life in ways that make people whole, that make people happy, that provide for people in ways that are peaceful and loving. And so you can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself, but I want to see how you want to live that out in the world. Oh, and, and not only are you a spiritual director, but you're also an author. And as we record this conversation in March, uh, when most of us are thinking about Easter more than Christmas, um, although we see Christmas pop-up stores year round, right? And <laughs> one of the books that you wrote is a book titled Christmas Quiet. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what was the inspiration for that book and how can we learn to find quiet in both what is one of the busiest times of year and honestly, the most stressful for many of us. Uh, That was the inspiration for the book. It being a stressful time of the year, you you hit it right uh, on the head. In fact, what happened was a friend called me and she was both overwhelmed and depressed that Christmas was coming. (laughs) She saw it as a, non-stop cooking, entertaining, partying, shopping, decking the halls. And as I listened to her, I realized that her anxiety was common. This is how a lot of us feel. This is how I was feeling to a certain degree, but it had been tempered because I had gone through the spiritual direction program by that time. And so I started talking to her about a cure And that cure would be to go away for a day in silence. And that day of silence was gonna usher in a season of peace for us. Now, I really didn't know again what this day was going to be. One time a friend told me that I have the confidence that comes from ignorance because I just start doing stuff. I don't have to know (laughs) what I'm doing. I just start and the stuff catches up with me. So I, my girlfriend, she didn't even come to this first retreat, but 20 other women, again, people just somehow follow me. I don't know why. 20 other women accepted this invitation to what I called Christmas quiet. And we enjoyed God. I did a little bit of teaching. We had lunch in silence and the afternoon was complete silence in the retreat center. And I did that for about 10 years. And then I discerned that the season was over and I took all that content and turned it into a book that a publisher decided to publish. Uh, And there are coloring pages in there and there are um, uh, writing prompts as well. But I would say this, that, you know, there is something called a church calendar. I I didn't know anything about that either in in the first half of my life. But when these special seasons come up, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, Advent, whatever they may be, they really are moments for us to um, go a little deeper with God. 
I almost call it like an anniversary or a birthday. You know, it's, it's time to reflect. It's time to say, what has happened over the last year? How have I grown? What do I want to do in, in, the, in the coming year? And we all make plans. You know, some of us make plans around our money and we make plans about where we want to be five years from now, what kind of house we want or what kind of car we want to be driving. But do we make plans about what kind of relationship we want with God or what kind of a relationship we want with our family and our friends and the world. And these moments give us time to do that kind of planning in the presence of God so that what we offer and give to the world is better each year. I love how that goes back to this idea of rhythm and tempo and inserting this slower rhythm and tempo into something difficult and challenging that that's so in need of it. And, and again, here you are giving us the key at Christmas time. Enjoy God. Enjoy God. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Yes. I, that has become my mantra. If there's anything I want to be known for in life, is telling people that God is to be enjoyed. I think we have missed that about him. And he's certainly worthy of all the things we do in his name. But I also believe that he came to have relationship with us and he wants to be known. I tell people God is not playing hide and seek. He really is a God who wants to have a relationship with us. And all we have to do is come and sit on his lap. It's that easy. So now you've discussed rhythm of time and these seasons. So I'm curious, what about place? Are there, are there places or locations that speak to you, that, that offer silence to you, that break us open, that allow us to enjoy God? I think for me, one of them is the labyrinth. Every time I walk a labyrinth, it's a new experience. It's the same labyrinth, but it's different. So that's a place I like to go when I want something new to enter my mind. And as I'm walking the labyrinth, something new always enters. I see something different. It's a different experience. A park bench is also a great place for me to write, to watch people and to see what they say to me. Even though they're not speaking to me, they're just walking by. But it's even praying for the people who walk by me. It's praying for the mother with the kid and the kid is tired and getting a little bit out of sorts. It's how do I bring God into that? And she doesn't even know that I'm praying for her. But since I've had the experience of having kids out when they're sleepy, I know that this mom needs prayer. And so I think solitude and silence for me doesn't have to be in a quiet place. I can experience that when I am out and about. And I think that that is really a place to bring this peace 
when something is happening that is chaotic, we need somebody there who has a different way of approaching it. Everybody doesn't need to get riled up. And so this is how, if there are places that I like to be, it's places where can I bring a different presence? It's not so much about the place itself, but what am I going to offer the place? How am I going to be different in that space? So now what I hear and what I've learned today, and this is wonderful, you've, your entire story up to this point just summarized for me right here. What you just said is, if I could spend time in quiet and learn a new rhythm and sit in God's lap and learn to love and be honest, then I can be that space for somebody else in the world. Right. And so there's my relationship of action and silence. I don't have to be all by myself navel-gazing like Carl said at the beginning. I don't have to hide from the world. What I need to do is I need to actually be present to the world so I can be active. And you're, te you're telling me today how to do that, how to do that rhythm. It's, it's absolutely, that's just absolutely beautiful. You speak, hearing you talk, you speak like I'm, like I said, like I'm reading a, a, a very good, like the parables of Jesus, like a very good mythology, like a very good story that stops me and says, oh my God, that's true. Oh my God, that's so true. And I want to thank you for that. That's just powerful, powerful, your voice. Thank you. Well, I don't want to finish this conversation without giving a shout out to our dear mutual friend, Lorita Coleman Brown. Uh, it was actually Lorita who encouraged us to reach out to you, Maisie. So I don't know if Lorita will be listening to this or not, but if you are, hey there, Lorita, thank you for making this connection. Uh, this is really just um, a, a splendid. I'm so happy to, to have had this time with you. Maisie, as we, um, as we move towards wrapping up this wonderful conversation, which I think could go on for another two hours, but I'm wondering if you, if you have something you would want to share with us, a poem or a, a little bit of writing, anything that, that might be fun to, to share with our listeners. Sure. I'd love to share with you just a part of a prayer from a book called The Diary of Private Prayer by a a Scottish theologian, John Bailey. And it's from a book my sister gave me two Christmases ago. And I finally decided to sit with it this year and not just read it, but when I read it, to pick out a word or a sentence or a phrase that spoke to me from that reading and start my journaling from there. But this particular paragraph of all that I have read, I keep coming back to that particular day. So I, I want to read this for you. He said, Almighty God, in this hour of quiet, I seek communion with you. I want to turn away from the worry and fever of today's work, from the world's jarring noises, from the praise and blame of other people, 
from the confused thoughts and fantasies of my own heart and instead seek the quietness of your presence. All day long, I have been working and striving, but now in the stillness of heart and in the clear light of your eternity, I wanna think about the pattern my life has been weaving. And for me, that is what the, the solitude and silence allows me to do, to stop, look at God, but also look at myself. What am I weaving that I'm going to give to the world? And so this time that I used to think was a luxury is no longer that. It really is a necessity because I need to bring a better Maisie to the world every day. And I believe that God, that's what God does for me in the silence. Well, thank you very much. I've, I was humbled by the invitation. This is our pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. We are encountering silence. I'm Carl McCollman. To learn more about me, please visit carlmccollman.com. I'm Cassidy Hall. Find out about my work at cassidyhall.com. I'm Kevin Johnson. My current website is kevinmichaeljohnson.com. Please visit the podcast's website at encounteringsilence.com where you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on the podcast. When you make a purchase through a link we provide, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from amazon.com. Thank you for doing so. Please also visit patreon.com forward slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of our circle of supporters and share in our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all-too-noisy world. Thank you.